Good morning. Uh, we're continuing today with the series that I've been called Embracing Greatness. And uh, just by way of very, very quick review, um, I spent the first week uh, inviting us to think about the fact that we have a great God. And then last week, uh, again, focused upon we have a great Savior who is mighty to save. And they invite each of us to lean in and embrace their greatness in a real personal and life-changing way. And I've suggested, and I will continue to suggest, that far too often we settle for less than the greatness that God our Father and God the Son desire for us. And again, the image that I continue to use, uh, to me it shows someone leaning in to the loving embrace of a great Savior as reflected by his the nail-scarred hands and again, acknowledging that God sees greatness in us that sometimes we don't see for ourselves, and there is obviously greatness in God that sometimes we don't fully allow ourselves to wrap our heads around. Today I'm going to talk, as my slide indicates, about embracing greatness through a connection with a great counselor. I suspect many of us have benefited over the years by receiving great counsel from a variety of different people. Um, I mentioned numerous times over the past four months that a part of what the church did during my sabbatical was hire a sabbatical coach uh, to kind of coach and counsel me through the process, and I continued to, to connect with him for an hour once a month just to kind of continue to tie up that package, and I found that incredibly beneficial. There have been other times in the past when we have hired a, a coach or a church counselor to kind of help us think about how to do things more effectively. There have been times that I've hired a counselor to help me process things that I was experiencing in my own life, and personally... And hopefully many of you can say this. Personally, I have benefited greatly from the counsel of many within this congregation. Uh, people who have been very strategic and intentional about, about helping me grow in areas. And people who, uh, sometimes without even realizing it, have said things to me that, that served as counsel and helped me figure stuff out. Um, and as great as it is... To benefit, and again, I hope all of you are open to receiving counsel from others. And as great as it is to be surrounded by great counselors, it's important for us to remember that God also offers us something far more. Godly counsel is an awesome thing from other individuals, but God offers us something that is far greater. Today, to help make my point, I'm going to do something, and I'm looking around to see if I see anybody who's actually articulated this, and I don't see anybody right now, but you may think it. Um, oftentimes, when I choose to use sports analogy, some people find it frustrating or irritating. And if you're one of those, please bear with me, all right? I'm going to use a sports analogy. It just fits too well to ignore, but be patient It'll get better, I promise. And you may actually learn something even before we get to the scriptural piece. But after I talk about my sports analogy, and hopefully you'll get the point. If not, tell me and I'll work better next time. Um, we're going to unpack some of what the Bible has to say about our great counselor, or as I say parenthetically, our great coach. Um, hopefully what the Bible has to say will just kind of shake you a little bit. And it's like, oh, I knew that. But I haven't done much with it. 
So, so that's my goal. Uh, as I've told you many times, probably more times than you care to think about, when I was growing up, sports was pretty much everything. It, it, everything revolved around sports for me. Not that I was any good, but it was just really important to me. And coaches were an important part of that experience. I think one of the defining moments for me, without even fully realizing it, when I was in, what would I have been, eighth grade, um, I lived kind of in the boonies. Um, our nearest neighbor was a quarter of a mile away. So some of you can relate to that, and that's your reality too. Um, I was ecstatic when someone moved into the farm down the way, and they had somebody my age. And so I'd heard that they had somebody my age. I was stoked, all right? And I went down there and to meet this person who was my age, and this man walks out. I mean, he's just rock solid. He looks like he's five years older than I am, and he's my peer. It's like, oh, really? Um, ended up becoming a very good friend. But his father, who was now my neighbor, was our varsity football coach. And so I had the opportunity of, of receiving coaching from him on the football field and at football practice, but I also had the opportunity of experiencing coaching from him in everyday life as I hung out at their house an awfully lot, rode to school with them. And, and so that, that's important to me. And, and coaches in many ways, some good, some perhaps not so good, played a great role in shaping my life. What I want to talk about briefly with you, and I, I just... I have been praying that you'll get the point when I'm done. If not, I will just flat out tell you what my point was. All right? So you don't have to work too hard. I want to talk about three different types of coaches. Um, The first coach I want to talk about is a tennis coach. All right? Anybody recognize that picture? A couple of you do. All right? Uh, A few weeks ago, um, a famous tennis player named Serena Williams was playing in the U.S. Open, okay? Now, now again, a tennis coach, If I mean, by, by definition, a tennis coach provides training and instruction, teaches you how to make appropriate strokes, gives you tools to develop those different strokes, and also helps you craft your strategy. And so Serena Williams was playing in the U.S. Open, which is one of the, they call it a Grand Slam event, in that every year there are four major, really, really big deal tennis tournaments, and the U.S. Open is one of those four. And so she's playing in that tournament, and again, maybe you have seen other pictures. Um, The official calls her out for a violation, and she loses it. Now, I'm not criticizing her for that because I've thrown temper tantrums before in the world of sport. I'm not proud of it. Tony's seen it. Uh, No, I'm sorry. But but I I get that. But again, some of you may have seen images and it didn't fully register. She, She screams at the official. She throws her racket down and destroys it. Um, And they move on. And then there's another exchange. And and she's calling this official out uh, for... uh, impinging upon her integrity because he's saying she was cheating. And and it was just a terrible blow-up, and it continues to be something that people stoke that fire. 
the point that I'm making with the tennis coach is if you saw it, he's sitting in the stands and he does this. That's it. In a Grand Slam tennis event, the rules officially state, this is the official 2018 Grand Slam rule book, players shall not receive coaching during a match, including the warm-up. And the official saw the coach do this and felt he was coaching her. And so he penalized her. Now, she says he wasn't coaching her. He actually says he was coaching her. But everybody does it. But this particular official, the rule's the rule. And, and what I, you know, once I got past all the craziness and the temper tantrums and the accusations and the reminders why I don't like tennis, but that, no, I, sorry, um, it hit me. If you're a professional tennis player, Grand Slam events are the pinnacle of success. And I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that coach makes an awful lot of money. And so as a player, I pay my coach copious amounts of money, and he trains me all year long, and then when I'm in the biggest match of my, one of the biggest matches of my career, he has to sit on his hands and be completely silent. What a bummer is that? Next, we have a basketball coach. I picked that image, and they're not even here. All right, what can I say? Tell Omers that I was using Dan Izzo, and they missed it. All right, but a basketball coach, again, much like a tennis coach, a basketball coach helps with your training, crafts what you have to do to be physically able to participate. He works on you with regard to skill development. Uh, he helps design offensive strategies in terms of even designing plays to help you maximize your potential as a team. He develops defensive schemes, whether it's going to be a zone and, or a man-to-man or full-court pressure, all of that kind of stuff. He helps to develop that. So, that, so basketball coach. Now, unlike a tennis coach, during the course of a game, as evidenced by the picture, the, the basketball coach can be continually calling out from the sidelines during the entire game, running up and down within a prescribed box. You can't go so far this way, so far that way, but within that's prescribed. He can run up and down. He can yell. He can yell at you. He can yell at the other team. He can yell at the official as long as he's not profane. But he's fully engaged. He can even call timeout in the middle of the game and then get right up in your face. I mean... You know what he had for lunch, okay? He's there. He's spitting on you in all probability. In football, it was grab your face mask and you'd have some intimate conversation. Really close. All right. So to me, I look at that kind of coach and I think, that makes a whole lot more sense. He's interacting with with me throughout the entire game. But once again, where is he? He's on the sidelines. Really? One more coach. And actually, we don't even call him coach. We call him a caddy. Now, a golf caddy, on a professional level, he's not just there to schlep your clubs around because you're too lazy to carry them for yourself. 
even though those bags are really heavy. A professional caddy is intimately acquainted with your unique skill set and your personal tendencies. He understands how you perform when you get tense and how you perform when you're relaxed. He understands how you respond to different situations and circumstances. A good golf caddy has carefully, before every match, studied the course and taken meticulous notes on each and every hole of that course. And even how the weather conditions affect each and every hole. If the wind's coming from this way, you're going to be concerned. And this and, and all of that. This time of day, if you're playing near the ocean, this time of day, the putt's going to break this way. This time of day, it's not going to break as much. All of that stuff, he's got it. He's got it in his little notebook. He's got it in his head. And as you can see, during each match, the caddy carefully observes everything that you're doing, as well as paying attention to what your competition is doing, noting anything that may have changed from the day before. Again, some of you who play golf, I used to back in the day, but how a particular green performs may be different at 8 o'clock in the morning when you play your first round and how it performs at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when you play your second round. It's drier, it's warmer, it's cooler, it's windier. It all changes, and the caddy is continually processing all of this stuff. And throughout the entire match... He carries your gear, so you don't have any extra burden. At most, he's a step or two away, always observing, giving continual feedback, and offering situationally appropriate recommendations. Even to the point of saying, no, I think you should use this club because you use this club better in these types of situations. Or last week you really stunk with this club, so use a different one. All right, but but he's there again, looking over your shoulder, whispering in your ear. So the question is, how do you relate to the counselor or the coach that God offers you? Treat him like a tennis coach to where in the most important moments of your life, you don't want to hear from him. Just sit on your hands and be quiet. I got this. I know that you parted the Red Sea, but I know who I should marry. Really? Some of us know how well that works out, painfully. I know that you say this, but I really want to take that job. How do you treat the counselor that God offers you? Tennis coach? Maybe a basketball coach. You're okay with him yelling at you from the sidelines. But in the game, you're pretty much going to do whatever you want. Or do you treat the great counselor God offers you more like a golf caddy? where you allow him to be intimately involved and give continual feedback in every area, in every situation. What's the country song, Jesus Take the Wheel? You know, am I right? Is there a song like that, you country folk? I should have looked it up. 
I could have Googled it. Some of you got Bella's reaching for it. She got it on her playlist on her phone. <laughs> Speaking of which, who's that? Oh, you, you're playing it for me. All right, good job. Uh, isn't that how we kind of go sometimes? I got this. I got this. Oh, I'm going to crash. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> huh? No. Jesus offers us something better. Against the backdrop of what I've said, tennis coach, basketball coach, golf caddy, let's just look at some of what the Bible has to say about the great counselor or coach we've been offered. Now, again, just let me, let me back up. I know I jumped ahead. This is starting in John chapter 14. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but I, I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure we understand. Most Bible scholars agree that... Have any of you ever had a situation where you were facing something that was really important and you pulled together the people who were going to be affected and you just had a conversation with them and laid it out? Say, here's what we're up against, and here's the challenges we're going to face, and here's how you may respond to it. Here's how I'd like to see you respond to it. And just kind of get them prepped for what's coming. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is pulling together his disciples because Jesus knows the crucifixion is coming. He knows the persecution is coming. He knows the fear and doubts that are coming. And they don't fully understand it yet. Even though he's kind of told them and it's just like, whoo, gone. So in John chapter 14, 15 and 16, he pulls them together and he's doing everything in his power to help them grasp what's coming. So that's the context that we pick up here in John chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. How many of us ever said, oh, I wish I knew what Jesus wanted me to do? Huh? Duh. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, counselor, some translations say, to help you and be with you forever. In other words, Jesus is saying, or not in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving. But God is sending you something even better. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to help you and be with you forever. He is sending, God the Father is sending a counselor, an advocate, a coach, who will be with you forever. So it's going to be okay. And he defines who this is. He's giving you the, let me back up and read it together. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He's literally giving you the spirit of truth to be with you forever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Get this. For he lives with you and will be in you. Does that just just soak that in? I was making a big deal about the golf caddy because he's leaning over your shoulder and whispering in your ear. God says, I will, I will do better than that. 
I will literally send my very spirit to be with you forever. Not just with you. He will live with you and be in you. Oh my goodness. I I really don't want to say this. Because it's self-indictment. But I, I think about this. If God has sent his very spirit to live within me as a counselor, how do I make so many stupid choices? And I have to say, it's because I just don't listen to the counsel that I get. Miserable, isn't it? No, it's incredibly hopeful. Just a few verses later in John chapter 14, verse 25, he continues this. All I have spoken, all this I have spoken while still with you. In other words, I'm I'm telling you this. I'm right here. You can see me, touch me, feel me. I've told you this. But the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, I'm leaving but I'm sending something even better to be with you, to be in you, to teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. How many of us have had the experience? I I have it on at least a weekly basis where people give me instructions, tell me how to do something, and I, I, I got this. Smile, nod my head. We're good. And... The dust hasn't even settled from their departure. It's like, what did they say again? I didn't write it down. I wrote it down, but where did I write it down? What file did I save that under? Friends, he's offered us to bring that within us in a real, personal way. Then he says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Why? I have... I wonder how many of us live somewhere in between verse 26 where it says, the Holy Spirit who my Father will send in my name will teach you, remind you of everything I said. And then verse 27 peace I leave you. In the middle there is that void of applying what 26 said so I can experience what 27 said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, the invitation is is to have those two merged to where the gift he's given us is what empowers us to live in the peace that he desires for us. Then a couple of chapters later, in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the advocate, counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So understand, there is no uncertainty here. 
if we believe Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, if we believe that, then we have to believe that he has sent that advocate or counselor to come to us, to live within us, to guide us and direct us on a daily basis. Those two go together inextricably. Then verse 13 of chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now again, as I, as I said last week, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. But he will not override your will and force you into all truth. Don't, don't raise your hand here. And please don't elbow the person next to you. All right? But how many of us have known what it is to give someone incredible counsel? I mean, just, you're just spewing the wisdom of Solomon and pouring it out on top of them. And they go out and do the exact opposite. Huh? You may have been guiding them into all truth, but they still had a choice to make. Friends, the Holy Spirit of God, the great counselor, will guide us in truth. But we gotta listen. And we gotta walk. How many times, don't raise your hand here, I'll raise it for all of us. How many times have we gone against the counsel of God and then wondered why things were a mess? And I'm sure there are times he just wants to dunk us on the back of the head and say, oh, why do you think? Fortunately, he's patient and he doesn't dunk us on the back of the head most of the time. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He starts out by saying, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Because you are his, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Friends, I, I, I just, I know for myself, far too many times, I just don't grasp the magnitude of what that says. That the very Holy Spirit of the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is willing to come and live in my heart and mind on a daily basis. Friends, that's a big deal. But especially for those of us who are who are church aware, sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. And it's not, oh my goodness, really? I mean, we're excited when a celebrity comes to town. Friends, we've had the Spirit of God offer to come and live in our hearts on a daily basis. Like, oh yeah, I heard that in Sunday school. We're good. Because you are His sons, God sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. This Spirit calls out to get to God in an intimate basis. Many of us have heard it said before. I just said I was going to do that and I did it. Many of us have heard it said before. Daddy, Abba is a term of endearment, a term of closeness. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
but God's child. He folds us into the family. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Wow. Friends, when we talk about embracing greatness, I, I have to say, I believe, I know I do. I undervalue that promise of God's Spirit to come and live within me. And I underutilize His promise to send that Spirit to guide me in truth and in pursuing paths of righteousness. I ask you to just wrestle for a moment. What would it look like to have that kind of an advocate, counselor, or coach in your life? Would anything be different if you really listened to that coaching, walked in that coaching? I have to believe that for most of us, it would. I'm going to leave you with just one example. A man called Peter. Just to paraphrase, I'm not going to read those, I'm just going to paraphrase. Remember, we're talking about the indwelling spirit of the Lord God Almighty working within a person's heart. Now, throughout the Gospels, Peter very quickly becomes one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles. He's one of the, the the insiders of the group, and he does some really stellar things, and he does some really boneheaded things. He's just that kind of a guy. He's either going to get it really right or he's going to get it really wrong. And one of the things he does in a moment of inspiration, human inspiration, he professes in front of everybody, I don't care what happens, Jesus, I will never turn my back on you. Never. And Jesus says, you know, I kind of know the future and uh, you're wrong. But it kind of goes by the wayside. And then, as the story continues, Jesus is arrested. As, as they're arresting Jesus, uh, Peter pulls out his sword, and he's going to back up his word, and he whacks off the guy's ear. Pretty good shot, in my opinion. You know what? You're swinging a big sword, and you're close enough to whack off somebody's ear. I think Peter had used a sword before myself, but that's another story. Jesus puts the ear back on. Jesus is arrested, and they haul Jesus off. And they're having this kind of kangaroo court. And, and Peter's concerned because he said he was never going to leave Jesus. And so he kind of follows along and hangs back in the dark as they're having this mock trial, one of several. And somebody in the crowd looks at Peter and thinks, I think you're one of his guys. I think you play for his team. Peter says, no, no, I don't. You're wrong. Okay. Then a few minutes later, somebody else says, I, I think you're one of them. No, no, I'm not. Then a little girl says, I think he's one of them. And Peter literally curses. He says, no, no, I'm not. Three times, Peter denied. Nope, 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 not me. What coach do you suppose he was listening to at that point? Huh? Yeah. It wasn't God's coaching. Then, again, the story continues, and, and 
we read how in, in John, how the resurrected Jesus uh, restores Peter. They have an opportunity to have a one-on-one kind of a, after a fishing trip, and, and they're just kind of kind of laying it out there. And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, I understand. I know you meant what you said, but I, I know you just didn't have the resources to back it up. We're good. So then... In Acts chapter 1, the disciples, they, they literally watch Jesus ascend up into heaven. What do you do with that? Huh? I mean, seriously, what do you do with that? Now, please, I'm not making any claims of divinity, but imagine right now, if you just literally saw me go, whoop! Wow! I, I, I don't even know how you wrap your head around that, but but they saw that. And, and they're, and they're kind of... You know, you see that kind of stuff, uh, you either go see the doctor or you pray. And so they're praying. And as they're praying, one day, the building begins to shake. Literally. Earthquake type stuff. And the Holy Spirit of God descends like tongues of fire and touches them. And that counselor begins to work from inside of Peter. And the very same Peter who had weeks earlier said, I don't even know him, stood up in front of literally thousands of people who opposed the message of Christ who denied that he was the Son of God, and the same Peter who was the denier, now that he has a great counselor or coach or advocate living within him, he begins to preach. And he puts it out there. And he says, y'all killed the wrong person. He is who he said he is. And he explains it all to them. He denied three times that he even knew Jesus. And when the counselor came within him, he stood up in front of thousands unashamedly and preached the word of truth. And 3,000 people on the spot said, Oh my goodness, what do I have to do to be saved? And entered into a real personal life-changing relationship with the resurrected Christ, baptized the whole nine yards. Friends, I I don't want to mislead you in any way, shape, or form and suggest that if we open ourselves up to the Spirit of God that we're going to preach to thousands and see thousands saved and baptized. But I will tell you, I believe with my whole heart, it's the same counselor today that it was then. We may all experience it differently, and that's okay, but it's there. In a moment, when I'm done, we're going to sing and call a song called "Holy Spirit," um, and and I tweaked the lyrics. Don't don't try to sing it this way because it's going to be hard. But I, I just tweaked the lyrics a little bit. <sighs> Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Will you say that today when you sing? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We're not talking here. We're talking here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. This, let's be selfish for a bit. We're not, don't, don't fill this place, Jesus. That's all good if you do, but, but let's talk about this. 
Come fill this place. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for. Own that, folks. To be overcome by your presence. Wow. There's nothing worth more that could ever compare, come close. I, I get to that every time when we sing it. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your, my, living hope. I hope he is. Your presence, Lord. Let me become more aware of your presence, Lord. Let me experience the glory of your goodness. Would you pray with me? We've said it before, and lots of people have said it. But it's important for us to understand, sometimes it's dangerous to pray if we don't really mean it. I wonder, will we pray? Let me become more aware of your presence, Lord. Will we pray? Let me experience the glory of your goodness. Friends, when I say, which I do often, a real personal life-changing love relationship with God, a part of that is opening ourselves up to the indwelling power of His Holy Spirit, that perfect counselor, perfect coach, that's not content to sit in the stands and sit on his hands and not coach us when things really matter. We're not talking about a coach that just is limited to yell at the sidelines. We're not talking about a coach who, who simply takes notes for our life and, and speaks into our ear or over our shoulder. We're talking about a coach who loves us, who gave his life for us, who is willing to allow his very spirit to not dwell with us, but to dwell within us. Oh, Lord. In a way that's unique to each and every one of us. Would you just remind us in the days to come what a great coach, what a great counselor, what a great advocate you have offered to send to dwell within each and every one of us. And I just want to say before I close in prayer, if you've never said, Lord, I I believe that you're real, I'm in relationship with you, uh, but I'm just reasserting that I want your counselor, I want your counselor to fill every aspect of my life and to speak into every area of my life. And Lord, give me strength when I hear your counsel to to be obedient and to walk in your counsel. If you've not said that, I just encourage you to do that in in the privacy of your own timing and your own moment. But invite that spirit to well up within you and to move to a place of prominence. Father, we ask these things in the full power of your wonderful name. Amen. Michelle.